Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and with each other. I'm your host, Sarah Noel Wilson, and joining me back is my dear friend and colleague, Jelmada Villanova-Mitchell. And just a little bit for those of you who are unfamiliar with her, and maybe some of you will be familiar, she has over 20 years experience helping leaders and teams and organizations move forward in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion. In addition to the work that she does with us and with our clients as one of our senior lead facilitators, she's also the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at IMT Insurance. She hails from Brazil originally, but makes her home in Iowa. She's lovely. I could just gush and gush and gush about. But and and for those of you who may be familiar, she was one of our first guests and we brought her on to talk about the importance of disagreements. And before we jump into our topic today, we'll just, you know, hi Jelmada. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. I'm so excited to be with you again. We're, you know, what what inspired this conversation, I mean, I'll take any opportunity for us to be in conversation together, but just to catch the the rest of you all who are listening, um, we've been having a lot of conversations about what we're observing related to burnout and leadership. And so what we wanted to do was to just have an open conversation, well, to, ex- to continue the conversations we've been having within our team, and that Jelmada and I and Teresa have been having and to include the rest of you. So today, what we really want to just dig into is what we're noticing from burnout, specifically looking at leadership. But I think we can all agree that we're seeing higher levels of burnout, just people generally. So, you know, Jelmada, just start with a little bit of, you know, what are the things you're observing, whether it's in the leaders you're working with, um, the people you're in conversation with, um, people in your life, right? Like we, we, we are in revolution with lots of, lots of leaders in our world. Yes. I am definitely noticing a higher level of burnout going on across the board. But the interesting thing for me, Sarah, has been that um, executive level burnout is more prevalent than I have ever seen. And I think that spring 2022, when the pandemic begun and leaders had to pivot their business, take care of their workforces, protect them, and, you know, scan for new opportunities. I think they were operating in uh, higher gear. And I think now we are transitioning to a post-pandemic stage and we're still operating higher gear. And that that is just not sustainable. It, you know, I, I was just talking, I was just talking with one of our our clients up north and you know they were they were talking about how how do we transition mentally organization like how do we transition as an organization from being in just pure survival mode um to like we don't have to be in survival mode so much and you know and and looking at it both organizationally and individually so when we talk about this idea of burnout i feel like it is a phrase that people use a lot they use it to describe but they don't always know how it can manifest and i think that in in our work with lots of different folks we see it manifest in different ways so leaning and kind of calling on your um, former history from a counseling, from a mental health perspective, what are some of the ways that burnout can show up, particularly when we're talking about leaders, mm-hmm. for people to be aware of? 
So some of the symptoms that people start to notice when that's happening are difficulty to sleep, um, change in energy levels. So everything looks like an uphill battle. Uh, you're more lethargic. Mm. Uh, disengagement can be a burnout uh, signal. Um, change in drinking and eating habits. Um, a lot of times people start abusing alcohol or eating a little more. Um, irritable. You know, mm, that's what I was thinking of. Um, a little less patient. Um, so there are lots of ways that it manifests. And everybody shows it up differently, right? There isn't one way that yeah. goes through it. But one of the things that I have been thinking a lot about, Sarah, is that I have been reading some research that indicates that the number one cause for burnout in the workplace is toxic cultures and behaviors mm. that are tolerated and not addressed. Mm. And so um, I think that we can control our competition. We can control natural disasters. We can control um, the war we're having. However, we can control our culture and how we hold people accountable for toxic behaviors in the workplace. And I do think that since that's the number one issue, um, that becomes even more of a priority. You know, not only talent right now is super difficult to find because there's lots of opportunities for everyone with remote work. Um, we know that a healthy culture prevents burnout. Yeah. Well, the work-life imbalance a lot of times goes back to, I feel safe at home and I don't feel safe in the office. And mm -hmm. that's the imbalance. And so I think uh, being intentional about really creating uh, a healthy culture, a culture where toxic behaviors are addressed and not tolerated, would be super important in this new post-pandemic stage because we are already fragile. Yeah, it's there's there's two 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 things that I, are coming up for me. You know, the the first is. I think that as as we continue to evolve and, and kind of quote unquote get back to normal, right, or at least it feels more normalized, that there's this misunderstanding or maybe a lack of appreciation um, or being aware maybe is even just as more simple of the fact that like when your body is under stress for as long as we were under stress, for as long as we were navigating uncertainty, as long as we were navigating loss. Um, and on some level still are, you know, like I have a family member who's older and immune compromised and, and is dealing with a really severe case of COVID right now, right? Like, but that we don't realize that that has a residual effect on us. And even though it might feel like, oh, yeah, no, like I'm, I'm going out, I'm seeing friends, I'm traveling, all of this, like we are not the same. Mentally, we are definitely not the same. And physically, many of us are not the same. No. Uh, and I and, and, and I want to I want to hit on that point of, you know, that that the idea or what we know is that one of the biggest contributors, and as you were talking about one of the biggest contributors being a toxic work environment, what I was thinking about is like, so how does that relate to the leadership burnout we're seeing? You know, the people who have the ultimate control and authority. And, you know, and I know that you and I've had previous conversations that 
some of the burnout, some of the, some of the reasons we're hearing people talk about why it's harder, why they're more exhausted is because of the expectation um, or the need to lead differently and to yeah. show up differently because, you know, so talk, talk to us a little bit, you know, about how creating a psychologically safe culture, creating a not toxic culture isn't just like something you put into a computer and say, and we're done. And we write it on a note and we're done. It, it takes a lot of emotional labor that I think a lot of people aren't prepared for. Yeah. So, so I have been, I have been thinking a lot about this, as you know, and I, we have been thinking a lot about this together. And I think that one of the things that it's required right now from leaders is that in this post pandemic stage, when we develop a vision for the company and how we're going to operate post-pandemic because things have shifted and they will never be the same, so we have to adjust and align, we have to develop a vision for the leader too. How are you going to shift and meet the new mm -hmm. expectations that your employees have for you as a leader because it's not the same? And a lot of leaders are doing this system shift, forgetting that their role also has to shift The CEO role is not the same post-pandemic as it was before pandemic. And how are you going to show up? Like we right now, CEOs and executive leaders have to talk about mental health with people because there is a mental health crisis going on. They have to embrace emotions. They have to become more vulnerable than ever to model self-care, to model being in touch with our own health and well-being. We are having to have conversations about grieving. We're having to have conversations about things that in the past didn't happen in the workplace. And mm -hmm. guess what? We don't prepare leaders for this. We prepare them to be technical, um, to, to have excellence in technical um, areas. We don't prepare them to embrace emotions, to have yeah. conversations with people, to support them when they're struggling with panic attacks, with depression, when they lost their mom. And so uh, what's required from the CEO and the executives right now, it's really not to be a superhero or a shero. It's to be human and vulnerable mm -hmm. and honest about how are they doing? You know, we don't need to be strong. We need to be real. And I think that's really hard for some leaders because they we have a misconception that if you are the CEO, if you are the head of an organization, you can't show weakness. And we look mm. at needs that we have as humans as weakness, which I do completely disagree with. You know, I love when a CEO says, I'm burned out, I need to take two weeks off. You know, I love when they model for people that that's okay to say and do. But we mm -hmm. see that happening very often. That's such a I'm, that's such a powerful point you make that, you know, I think we've talked around this, but I don't think that I've heard you articulate it in that way of that we're we're doing all of the systems adjustment. Well, how do we how do we work and how do we share information? And if we do hybrid, what does that look like? And there's all these systemic changes. But you're right, we're not we are not having the conversations around well, what does that mean to lead in this environment? One of the things that we're seeing and we're hearing this. So people who are listening who are in leadership who might be feeling this or people who are in HR who might be hearing this as well is that some some leaders are recognizing 
this just takes a lot more energy and effort to show up in a really human way. It takes more effort and energy to have the conversations we've been avoiding around diversity, equity, and inclusion, to have the conversations I need to be having with myself, you know, in, in, in doing this work and creating the culture that we want. And, you know, you and I, we were chatting on the way home a couple nights ago and we're like, we do this work all the time and we get exhausted. <laughs> I can't imagine the leader who's, you know, I've, I'm in my early 60s. I'm going to retire in two years. And all I've known is command and control. And now you want me to do what with someone's emotions, Sarah? Like, I don't, I don't have it. I don't have it in me. Totally. Yeah, it's really interesting. The other thing that I think about when I think about burnout, too, is that I see when we work with our clients that a lot of times our natural inclination is to blame burnout on the personal level. And so we always think about burnout in terms of somebody's personal lives or their caregiving for somebody or they are single parents or they're dealing with some other things outside work. And instead, what I'm challenging our clients to do is look at the systems that are in place at the organization mm -hmm. that are leading to burnout, because a lot of the burnout we're seeing is work-related. Work-related burnout has become a health condition in 2019. And so um, I think that we need to really take a hard look at how do we schedule meetings in our organizations? Mm. Do we have, because now without driving time, we can have 10 meetings a day without a break. Yeah. That's yeah. killing people. Do we have mental breaks throughout meetings that are longer than 90 minutes so that people can do something that doesn't require brain, brain engagement, such as stare at the window, pet a cat, you know, just do something that gives your brain a mental break. Um, do we, uh, how do we facilitate therapy appointments, leave mm. when you need a break? Um, and so I think there are some systems and how do we, how do we embrace people when they are running at capacity and make a mistake? Mm. You know, mm -hmm. um, I think there are some systems things that we have to rethink to um, allow for prevention and, um, and navigate this burnout levels that we are seeing. It's not only yeah. personal stuff that we have right. to for. It's, I, and I, I, I love that you brought that up because that's something, you know, sometimes we'll see that as the solution to navigating burnout as some individual thing you can do. And, you know, when, when I think of when I think of early in my career, I didn't I didn't I don't think I knew the word burnout. I, I, I don't think that was something we talked about back then. But it was definitely what I was experiencing because it wasn't just like physical fatigue, but erosion of my sense of confidence right? Like I just was so exhausted and part and, and no amount of me taking a day off, no amount of me getting my mind right was going to change the fact that I was working in an environment that was working 70 hours a week. We were working on the weekends, right? Sometimes toxic leadership. And, and I think that's a, that's a trap we continue to see like, oh, can you come in and, and how do we help people think differently about burnout? I was like, well, every single one of your team members, has said something to the effect of we're, we're bursting at the seams here. Um, you know, like we keep sprinting, but we never stop for water. And, and, um, and so I, I, I love that push of how do we look at the systems, you know, because even, and I think about this in our own world, I think about this for my, my own 
you bring up about the meetings and the fact that we can do more meetings. And if we're in remote, literally, it's like logging off and logging on, logging off and logging on. And I don't, you don't even have the time to walk to the bathroom. And so like, I know something I'm trying to be more thoughtful about is how do we try to end 10 minutes early? You know, so that we also aren't dealing with that, like residual thinking fatigue, you know, because our brain just can't shift um, so quickly. Um, but I think that that's, you know, for people who are listening, who are maybe noticing in their environment. And I, I, I know some of the people who are listening, I know your environments. <laughs> I know, I, you know, I, I you know, the stories that people are talking about is like systemically and, and what do we need to do that might feel, um, outrage, not outrageous. What's the word I want to think of? Like really progressive or really like substantial, to get ahead of this because I can be productive for so long when I'm burnt out, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can exist and move, but at some point the cost is going to be really significant. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that um, if you are in a leadership position and somebody comes to you and says, I'm burning out or they're um, exhibiting some of the signals that they're at risk of burning out, I think we need to really think how how can I facilitate things for this person to take good care of themselves and for mm -hmm. our practices to shift so that when they come back, it's a sustainable well-being mm -hmm. journey for them. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times people take leave, they get better, and they come back mm -hmm. and in two days, mm -hmm. they're there again. Because we haven't shifted anything in our systems. And, yeah. and that's not sustainable. And so when somebody is burning out, everybody has a role in changing and adjusting so that that person's needs are met. It's not only them. I remember, yeah. um, I've, I've told you that, Sarah, I know that, but I remember one time in my life when I was going through my divorce and I was juggling a lot at the time. And of course, any divorce experience, most of them are very emotionally charging and uh, taxing. And I talked to my boss at the time, my supervisor, and I said to her, I am going to go, go through something really difficult. I will need to take more time off. I'm, I have attorney meetings. I have therapy meetings. I have, my kids need help. I said, so I wanted to let you know to expect that I'm going to be gone a little more than usual. And she looked at me. And I'll never forget that moment she said to me, she gave me the best gift a leader could have given me. She said to me, I would like for you to take every Friday off as sick leave. Mm. And she said, mm. you don't need to record that as vacation time. Just take it as sick leave because I want for you to have time to focus on your well-being. Every Friday, mm. that's your day to regroup while your kids are at school, to, to go through therapy, to do something for you to think, to organize yourself for the week. And I could not have survived that semester without my Fridays. Hmm. And the fact that she looked at that as a, a, a sick leave instead of taking away my time off as a vacation time was such a gift for me because I, I was going to get sick. It was sick prevention. 
you know, but yeah. I was going to get sick if I didn't have that time. I was running on empty and I had so much going on and I didn't want to drop the ball with my family or with my work. And so yeah. I had to invest time in myself. And I will never forget that because as a leader, there are things we can provide people with. I would never have asked for that. I had yeah. one sick day. I had like 380 sick days to live at the time. <laughs> at the time. And I would not take one because I didn't look at that as a sick leave situation. But it was, looking back, I was at risk of burning out. Yeah. And with that, with that prevention, what happened was I was able to carry on all my roles the best way I could. Didn't drop the ball, didn't burn out, didn't need to do, you know, a lot of the things that sometimes when we are not preventive, we have to. And so that was really a special uh, gift I received from her that I will never forget. And so whenever I see that somebody's at risk of burning out, I always think as a leader, what can I do here to yeah. facilitate some, um, you know, well-being for this person? Because we all can help. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I, whenever you can hear really specific stories of like, this is what it actually looks like. Because cause so often, you know, sometimes what we'll see in here is I mean, people just need to leave it at home. You need to leave it at the door. It's not my problem. It's not my job. And but if you are committed to this person, right, and wanting to support them and, and, and making sure that they can bring their best selves to to the very work you need them to do taking care of them and sometimes that means getting creative and sometimes that means you know sometimes sometimes i feel like i understand why policies are in place i get that but we have so much more flexibility i think than we feel sometimes and you know or there's this worry of well if you do it for one you can't you know you can't do it for all of them and like and again i i understand some of the reasoning behind some of that but um but what a gift. And and then I can only imagine that like how that act of love, I'll use that language, but how that act of care then just only reinforced your commitment, only reinforced you feeling safe, mm-hmm. right? Which then further reduces additional uh, harm or suffering or stress in the workplace so that you can just do what you need to do. I think sometimes leaders bind their hands and like, I don't know, I, there's nothing I can do. Like, no, actually there's a ton of stuff you can do. Right. Ton of stuff. My personal example was not work related. It had nothing to do with work. And this situation was a personal issue and, but it was going to affect my work if I wasn't supported, like she supported me. And I, mm-hmm. my commitment, you're right on, my commitment doubled because I yeah. knew she cared about me as a human and she was there for me when I needed. And so uh, my commitment to this organization and to her specifically was even higher than before. We'll be back with Jilmada in a moment. You said something you said something really interesting that I want to come back to that I think is important. And 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 because <clears throat> this is true, no, no matter like who, who you're with, whether it's a friend, a spouse, a family member. But that point you said of I wouldn't have asked for it. I wouldn't have even know, probably 
it's not even that you w- would have known you could have and you didn't. You just didn't even ask for it because when someone is in a state of burnout or they're in that state of survival, you can't think of solutions. And when you don't have the power, you also can't think of possibilities. And so I think that's something for us to, that's a gift we can offer each other. I feel like there've been times, there've been times I just actually wrote about the, in the LinkedIn post, I wrote about how when Teresa stepped in, when we had to put Seymour down and she just kept pushing me like, what else would actually help you? Would it help you if I did this? And I'm like, actually, yeah, that is what I need. I didn't know that I could ask you for that, but that is actually what I need. And so sometimes again, and I think in the spirit of, well, I don't know what else we can do is being okay to say, hey, would it be helpful if, and give people a really specific thing, you know, uh, I think about uh, last year at this time, nearly this time, was probably the worst burnout I'd ever experienced in my current job. You know, I was speaking at a conference in California and I remember getting to the conference and just like, I don't want to be here. I, it's, I, I just don't want to be here. I literally went to my hotel room and I just cried. And I remember calling Nick and just like, I'm like, I'm so fried right now. It's not that I don't want to do the work. I'm just in this moment, I'm so physically, mentally and emotionally exhausted. And I will never forget my friend, Rachel Sheeran, who she actually does a lot of work on burnout. We are texting each other and she said, you need like, lay down on the ground, rest, like more rest than you need. And what are you like, what here, let's talk about some ideas of how you can get that. And and in that moment, I couldn't even think about what I needed because I just knew I was just so, it just felt so empty. That's the way I would describe it. I just felt so empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can relate. Uh, I I think the fact that you talked to somebody and were able to, the fact that you were able to say that's where I'm at is huge because like this week, I was having a pretty easy week and lots of extra things came up. And on a normal week, I'm juggling a lot of things. When extra things start popping up, then I lose my my synergy. And when I was having a meeting yesterday, I could tell I was less patient than I usually am. Mm. And I told my colleague, I said, hey, just want to tell you, this has been a really tough week for me. Um, nothing special has happened. Just a lot of little things came up and I am fried. And so if you think I'm different, don't take it personally. It's nothing with you. I am just fried. And she looked at me and she said, thank you for telling me that. Cause I was wondering if I had said something that <laughs> rubbed you the wrong way. And I said, no, I, I am just not as, um, I am usually typically I'm pretty friendly and smiley and I was just more serious and less patient. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, anything disrespectful or anything like that, but I just wasn't myself and she could yeah. pick up on that. And so I wanted for her to know that it's okay to tell people I'm on the struggle bus right now and it's nothing to do with you. I'm just drained, you know? Yeah. And after I told her that she actually helped me quite a bit through the meeting, think through things because I was not uh, thinking super well, you know, I needed a little extra support there. <laughs> And so it was great. Mm-hmm. And I know when she's having a, one of those days, she'll be able to tell me too, because I told her. Mm-hmm. 
communicating think, that is really important. And I feel like a lot of people, especially people who are in right those higher positions of CEO, executive director, president, vice president, director, right, all of those positions. The, sometimes I think we feel like we have to keep our shit together, yeah. at and all. at all times, and. <clears throat> instead of normalizing it. And because I think that that's, you know, we both work pretty extensively with senior leaders and executives and CEOs. And I know for many of the people that we're in conversation with, we'll hear things like, you're the only one I can be messy with. Yeah. And I'm glad that we can provide that because leadership and business ownership can be really, really lonely. And... And it doesn't always have to be like that. Like who, 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 just like you with your colleague, just like I do sometimes with the team of, Hey, I'm, my brain is not working. Like it usually is. I am, I had, a, had my 3am meeting with my clients and didn't get to bed till 530. And then I slept exactly three and a half hours. So I am not functioning. And so how do we normalize that? Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that's something too, for people who are listening, who are in those senior leadership positions, who do you have, you know, uh, who do you have that you can say, man, I'm just, I am struggling a little bit right here. And I just want to let you know, and, and who do you have that you can be messy with? Because I also get that there might be things you don't want to share with the team or, you know, and so that's where it's I'm ve- right. Very pro having a therapist, having a coach, having a colleague, having a mentor, somebody who's maybe even outside of the business, you know, maybe not always your spouse, because this is something I hear too, like, oh, my wife just can only hear so much about me being exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, But but make sure you have people that you can say, like, I'm just struggling today. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Having that um, network of people that you are safe with, sharing those things is super helpful. I also think that when you are in a leadership position and you're always looking like everything is fine and you have it all going, um, what happens is you send people a message that first there's something wrong with them because mm-hmm. their life is not like yours perfect. Right. <laughs> you're looking, yep. <laughs> you, um, you, sound, you look fake because nobody's always okay. And so it sends a message that you're out of touch with Mm. what you're experiencing and what others are experiencing. And that really affects trust. And so it's a big deal, you know, uh, toxic positivity. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking of when you were talking. Mm -hmm. It's a really big deal. And I feel like in the Midwest, we're, we're conditioned to put a smile on our face and pretend we're okay at all times. Yeah. And to say we're fine. It's, it'll yeah. be fine. It drives me I'm crazy. Fine. Like when yeah. you ask somebody, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. But you look at them and you know that you're not. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to show up like that. You know, if I'm struggling, I'm going to tell you I'm struggling. If I am excited, I'm going to tell you I am excited. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay mm-hmm. to have ups and downs. We all do. Yeah. It's the, um, that point you made about when, when you're presenting things as always okay, or always uh, joyful or always, uh, it'll, everything will work out. 
is that it, it, it absolutely can erode trust, which is the very antithesis of what I think most people want who are trying to do that. They're trying to help you have a different perspective. And, you know, and what we know from research is that people who are able to be present with their emotions process them way faster in a way more healthy way than people who shove it down and say, I'm fine. And they put the bow on it. And, and you're right. I mean, speaking from a Midwest American culture, it's, especially when you look at from um like when I look at Midwest men, right? Like we're not going to talk about our emotions. We're not going to talk about, um, we're not going to express any kind of vulnerability or struggle. And, and it's amazing though, because I know you experienced this too, and probably even more so because one of folks, Jamada is incredible. She's an incredible coach and incredible conversationalist and your ability your ability to see people and to give language to what they're struggling with and they can't even give language to, I think is so masterful what you do. And the thing that's so um, like, just, I don't even know what I want to say. Like a good reminder is that when somebody pauses and says, no, but how are you doing really? The other person always reveals it. And there's always this moment of release of actually, it's kind of tough today. And, you know, like I loved when you and I hopped on and you were like, it's been a really, it's just been a really hectic week. It's been a really full week. And we could just, and I was like, yep, it's been a full week too. And it was just being present with each other. We weren't trying to solve each other. We weren't trying to say, oh, here's how you should think about it. It was just like, yeah, we're just going to name that and sit with that. And, and what's, and I think that what I see is that, so often when we're so afraid of being with those emotions that are tough, feel tough or feel uncomfortable, um, what happens is that we feel more connected to the person. Right. I agree. I, this, this same leader I had that gave me that gift when I was going through my divorce, she taught me something else too. She um, lost her son while she mm. was working with, we were working together. And I remember once in a while, I'd have a meeting with her, scheduled with her, and she would show up and she would just cry with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way she looked at crying and bringing that sadness into our collaboration made me look at her as human and made my bond with her become a lot stronger because I thought she is like me. She should be sad right now. If she had shown mm-hmm. up excited and joyful, I would think something was missing. Something was mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. Or that she wasn't being real. So I got to thinking, how many times have I seen a leader cry? Mm. And how many times have I seen somebody show up to a meeting where we had something to accomplish and just forget the agenda and attend to their emotions. And honestly, I loved that. We got everything done we needed to do. But first, we always try to attend to our emotions and get into a space where we were ready. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we try to push things through without doing that. And what happens is you're distracted, you're disconnected, and you're not thinking your best because the emotions are taking over your Mm -hmm. cognitive space, you know? And so that was another 
valuable lesson she shared with me. It's so uh, uncommon. So uncommon. You know, and one of the things we didn't talk about, and I think this is a conversation, you know, certainly for future future conversation between you and I, and I know I've got a, a guest that will be coming on in the future who specializes in mental health for working with men and um, all of that is, and, and when you can't, when you can't release that, when you can't be present with that, I mean, even just for yourself, much less with somebody else. There's a, there is a huge cost and, you know, and I mean, I've worked with, I've worked with guys who said, I don't feel anything below my neck, you know, and, um, and, and yet it can be so powerful. And I think that that's the, the thing that I wanted to share that I know you and I've observed is that we've noticed the burnout looks again, anecdotally, right? Not research, but just our, our experience anecdotally, um, male CEOs are struggling in a different way than we see our female CEOs, right? The, um, yeah. And, yeah, and, and I can't, I can't help but wonder, you know, how much of that is also right. Being in, in cultures, especially American culture where men aren't supposed to show any kind of vulnerable emotion. Yes. And, and, I, I totally agree because I have noticed that, Right now in my uh, work, um, I see more men struggling than women. Mm-hmm. And I wonder about that. I wonder if it's because men are not allowed this space to express emotion and to have this kind of conversations as openly. And now they're having to shift that kind of um, work mode. And that's not something that they have cultivated throughout their careers. And so it's so, so unnatural for some of them to embrace that. Like just yesterday, I was with my daughter at one of her school functions. And there was a little boy there with his mom and a bee was circling around him and he was very terrified. Mm-hmm. And when he expressed that emotion, she looked at him and said, be a man. Mm. And I thought, we're training, we're training these boys to grow up and think Mm. that being afraid is not okay. You know, Mm. Mm. what does that mean? Be a man, Mm -hmm. you know, so layered, right? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help it. Oh, go ahead. He said that to him. He stopped um, expressing his fear. Hmm. Yeah. And it's not that the fear went away. It's that what, what did, what did I read recently? Kind of similar talking about similar situations, but talking about children in general. And they're like, when, you know, when a kid is upset and you don't help them process that emotion and you're like, you just need to suck it up or you need to just a quick cry and be a big kid, be a big boy, be a big girl and stop crying. The act of shutting down is not actually processing that emotion health in a healthy way. They're actually numbing themselves and disassociating and disassociating in that moment. And that causes a ton of issues. When I was thinking about the story between you and your leader, I couldn't help but imagine like, yeah, there's some people who will be listening like, there's no way I would cry in front of people. There's no way I would do that. And, um, and yet, and, and yet like, it's in the room. I mean, that's what I always say. Like the emotions are in the room, whether you want to acknowledge them or not. 
Yes. They're there. It's, you know, yeah. And it's all bringing it all together for you so you see that person as real. Uh, When you numb fear and sadness, you also numb joy. Mm. We can't numb just one emotion. And so when we train ourselves to numb, we are numbing everything. And that's not the way we want to live. I want to feel. I want to feel the sadness. I want to feel the happiness. I want to feel the joy. I want to feel the fear. And we can only feel all or nothing, Hmm. you know? And so we can, we're not able to select what emotions we're going to allow and what emotions we're not going to allow. And so that's something that I often think about, you know, when I'm fearful, I think, feel it, Hmm. you know, reflect on it. What's causing that? Because sometimes those emotions are your best teachers, you know, but Mm -hmm. we, we live in a society, like I, I had an opportunity to attend a funeral two days ago. And when I was there, I noticed a lot of the men were wearing sunglasses inside mm-hmm. because they were crying and they didn't want their tears to show. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought, how sad is that? Go ahead, take your sunglasses off and cry. You are allowed the space to cry here. You just lost a family member. And, you know, it was very interesting that when they were talking after the funeral and all with their sunglasses, one said, yeah, I had the same idea. I'm putting my sunglasses on so that nobody notices I'm crying. Mm. And I said, why? You can't cry. You know that, right? It's not a shame to cry. So it's interesting. Mm. We think some emotions are less than ideal. I feel like I feel like this is a really beautiful place to to wrap up just that reality of you, you know, numbing one, you numb them, numb them all. But if you want to feel right, some you've got to feel them all. And, you know, and just to reiterate some of the things that we've talked about, and some of the really great suggestions you brought up is one, burnout doesn't burnout doesn't always look like physical exhaustion. Burnout can be disengagement, right? All of the examples you shared at the top of the hour. um, uh, It certainly can be exhaustion. But if you're feeling it, or if you're observing it in somebody, right? How what what are the things that you can do? But then also for people who are noticing high levels of burnout in their organization, that's when you have to look at the system. If the system is caught, you know, if we just keep piling on the plates, then no amount of time off is going to change the fact that the plates are going to keep crashing. And so we have to look at that system. And I really appreciate that, that, that um, practice that you offered up of, you know, as we look at what the new world of work looks like, it's not just shifting policies and how we work, but it's also how do we lead and what does that look like? And, and just normalizing, normalizing being present. And, 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 and again, like just to, for those leaders who are, because we we God, we get to see some amazing people who are trying to step into that more vulnerable space, to realize that you will need probably more recovery as you show up differently in your conversations, as you show up differently in your relationships, as you show up just differently. It's going to cost you a different kind of energy, and you need you need a different kind of recovery than than you did before. Okay. What you know. Final thoughts from you as we we wind down our time together on this topic. And um, I think my final thought is not only we have to model self care, 
I am trying really hard to increase the way I care for my well-being and my physical and mental health and sharing that with the people in my circle so that I can influence how we are all taking care of each other. And I suck at it, to tell you honestly. So I'm working really, really hard to do that. And, um, and the other thing is not only working for my own self-care, but also um, looking at a leadership as a leader uh, with my leadership responsibilities. How can I impact the way that the people that I work closely with are allowed to take care of themselves mentally and physically, you know, um, what kinds of systems can I tackle that will, um, make us all healthier. And so I'm trying to really pay attention to that because I do think that we can talk about it and we can model it for people. Mm. And mm-hmm. it sticks when we model it for people so that the intern can do the same with the people they work with. And we can all become better at looking at needs as an important indicator instead of a weakness. Mm. Lovely. Thanks for coming on the show, Jilmada. And thank you for having me. And thank you to everyone who joined us to uh, have this conversation. And we would love to hear from you. You know, maybe some of you are struggling yourself. Maybe some of you have noticed people in your life are struggling. You know, if you need a place to be heard, you can always connect with us at podcast at com, And we will always hold space um, for you. But it's always just such a it's such a gift when I get to be in conversation with you, Jilmada. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Likewise. Our guest this week has been my colleague and dear friend, Jilmata Villanova Mitchell, where we explored the uh, what we're observing related to burnout, specifically in leaders. And, and you know, one of the things that I'm holding on to is just that idea of as leaders, what are we shifting and changing in our leadership as the world of work changes. And I, I think that's really important practice. And and again, we want to hear from you what resonated, what's coming up for you? What are you experiencing related to burnout? You can always reach out to us at podcast at sarahnoelwilson.com. Also, my DMs are always open on all social media platforms. And if you've been listening for a while and you want to support the show, there's a couple of ways you can do that. The first is to please rate, review and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform. This helps us get exposure and to continue to have these great conversations like we had today with Jilmata and myself. Also, you can go to patreon.com to become a patron and your financial support will support the show. I want to just take a quick moment to thank the incredible team that makes this podcast possible to Nick Wilson, our producer, Drew Knoll, our sound editor, to Becky Reinert, our transcriptionist, Caitlin Summit Nelson, our marketing consultant, and the rest of the Snowco crew. And a big final thank you for Jilmata for um, being willing to come on the show and to expand the conversation that we've been having over the last couple of weeks. This has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you all so much for listening. And remember, when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, we can change the world. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Please be sure to rest and rehydrate.